Blog Talk Radio. Ignite your life with passion and purpose. Your health, your wealth, your happiness. Make it good. This is Modern Love with Dr. Brenda Wade. A big thank you to Rainbow Grocery, our favorite grocery store here in the San Francisco Bay Area, for being our sponsor, because a healthy body is a sexy body. Well, have you ever felt anxious or nervous from time to time? Maybe if you're giving a speech or going on a first date, or maybe when things aren't going well at home and you start to feel that kind of gnawing anxiety in your stomach or twinge in your throat, maybe if you're going through financial difficulty, we've all felt those feelings. However, there are people who feel anxiety so frequently and so forcefully it starts to take over their lives. And it's just one of the many forms of emotional or mental illness that provoke a sense of shame and stigma. People actually get stigmatized because they're suffering from an illness that's emotional or mental, whereas you don't have the same stigma people did in the old days if you have an illness that we can see in an MRI or a CAT scan or an X-ray. Those are okay, but having anything else going on is really a problem. So I'm really happy to have Dr. Christine Adams with us tonight. She's been a practicing psychiatrist for 40 years. She's the co-author of a book with a title I love. I'm going to run and get this book. It's called Living on Automatic, How Emotional Conditioning Shapes Our Lives and Relationships. So we'll get into that a little bit also in terms of how it shapes relationships. But she has a groundbreaking new concept of personalities and relationships. She's here to discuss the many ways that mental health impacts the workplace, why employees hesitate to share mental health issues with their supervisors or their coworkers, and how you can deal with an employee or a boss who might suffer from emotional or mental issues. I'm going to give you now Dr. Adams' website, it's drchristineadams.com. So welcome to the show, Dr. Christine Adams. So glad to have you with us. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, and one of the important reasons we want to have you here is that today is World Mental Health Day. And it's so crucial right now when there are so many people all over the world who are suffering from severe emotional distress, this past summer, just a couple of months ago, I was in Italy visiting a refugee camp for women who had escaped West Africa and were seeking asylum in Europe, particularly Southern Europe, and there were 20 women in this camp, one woman rather elderly from Mali who had some sort of eye problem and couldn't see, but she talked about seeing her child killed before her eyes. There was a very young woman about to give birth to 
her first child, and her husband was allowed to come to the women's camp to be with her for the birth of the child. Otherwise, the men and women were segregated, and the conditions were terrible. And after I got home, there was a huge scandal that broke in Italy that the money that was supposed to go to these refugees to help them get education, to have food, have decent places to live, to become people on the road to being able to work. And the money was being stolen by a mafia syndicate, and the mafia had stopped killing one another because there was so much money in stealing from refugees, they didn't have to run the usual mafia games. So I was sitting there thinking after I read this, well, no wonder these people were in such terrible shape, depressed, anxious. A big argument broke out while I was there, and I could just see that the argument was coming from stress. So these aren't the only people in the world. We have people everywhere we turn. Here in Northern California, we've had severe fires, people losing their homes. We've had floods. We've had hurricanes. How do we define mental health when someone is in a crisis situation like this versus ongoing mental health problems, Dr. Adams? Um Wow, that's a that's a good question. Um, mental health, I think, is the ability to uh, have under some sort of balance or control your emotions, moods, thoughts, and behaviors. <clears throat> and I think that at times everybody has emotional distress or turmoil which can sort of go along a, a spectrum from mild to severe. And at the severe end is emotional illnesses and then mental illnesses. But we all have times of distress and turmoil. And many people, as you've pointed out, have trauma in their lives that creates sudden and overwhelming distress. And mm. I think... I think that uh, mental health is the ability to uh, sort of keep things in balance and, and know how to keep an equilibrium in your life. So what about the people who do find themselves drifting to the other end of the spectrum? How do you know if you've really lost your balance? It's been my experience after many years of, of working with people all over the world and especially with lots of of couples and, and singles where the the stress is in the relationship area. How do you know when somebody has lost control? Because my experience is the person who's got the problem is the last one to know it. Uh, that's frequently true. Frequently I find that the person who comes to me for treatment is not the most disturbed member of the family. Somebody else is more disturbed, but... The, the stress and the emotional turmoil will congregate in the person who seeks the help. Yes, yes, but, I couldn't agree with you more. I've certainly seen that, yeah. But I think that people often know when they're moving from just sort of mild emotional distress to emotional turmoil to emotional illness and, and mental illness when they lose the ability to function, uh, they can't go to work, they can't get out of bed, they don't want to go out in public, uh, they may be fearful, 
They may have panic attacks. So when you lose the ability to function the way you want to or the way you normally have been doing, then I think is you know when you sort of have lost your your balance and when things are moving from mild distress into the realm of an illness. Mm. So what about the person who is going through trauma? We have so many people right now. I'm looking out of the window of my office out of the sky in San Francisco. We have a cloud of smoke hanging over the city because of the fires up north. Those people going through those fires, I I talked to someone today who has been evacuated. She doesn't know if her home still still is there, whether it's going to be standing when she gets back. So what about a sudden trauma like that? How does that get somehow distinguished between mental illness and this is trauma-related? Well, that's that's tricky uh, because I think what I've learned over my 40 years in practice is that there are a lot of uh, things that, that go into taking a child from infancy to early adulthood that shape them. Parents shape children emotionally, and they teach them how to conduct their relationships with significant people. And so most people are like um, the iceberg. What you see in the real world and how they function is the top of the iceberg, but there's a whole lot underneath the water that you can't see that at times can explode later in life. It's been there all along. It's not like it's just a sudden occurrence, but it can cause havoc later on when something So you're saying that a child you. could have an issue that's ongoing because their parents haven't given them enough support or enough nourishment or enough safety or enough uh, feeling of positive regard and love and that this can later explode. Yes, so that so that you can have a person who's done relatively well in their life from all the the sort of um, things that we look at in the outside world. You know, they work, they earn money, they raise their children. But then you have a hurricane or a fire or uh, the tragic death of family members in an auto accident or some major trauma, and you will see um, symptoms erupt and an inability to manage the situation. And a lot of dealing with trauma has to do with the amount of emotional support you get from people around you. That acts as a buffer. Yes, that is crucial. And it's crucial whether it's a child or an adult. Right. The support can make the difference. If you have that, you're able to really sort of absorb the trauma, mm-hmm. like bumper cars at the fair. You know, they bump into one another and right. they have these big rubber bumpers. And yeah, that's a nice image because if you've got somebody there to give you support, you can absorb more of whatever's going on. So right. one of the things that we want to talk about is why 
people who are suffering from a mental health issue develop that? Why people develop so what? yeah, so we we've talked about trauma related, and we know trauma can come in and you know the brain is flooded with stress hormones, cortisol, all the good hormones are gone. It can tip anybody over. What makes a difference is that you grew up in a secure environment, so you've got a lot of ballast in the tank, and then later you get support. I like your bumper car picture, but what about people who've developed? Uh, say, a severe depression or who develop a severe anxiety disorder or develop, you know, something more serious, even manic depressive illness or schizophrenia? Well, I I think that a lot of the people that that happens to, are you talking about independent of trauma or? Yes, yes, I am saying independent of trauma. Or is it independent of trauma? That's another question. You can go along in life quite well, and all of a sudden you get divorced, and then you get severely depressed, and you can't work, and you can't leave the house. And this is what I'm talking about. Yes, I know about. all this about depression the, after divorce. Been on that. Yeah, train. this is this is the the part of the iceberg under the water. There may have been things that you learned as a child that are coming forward in time with you that are not adaptive. And so you may develop a depression because of that or an anxiety disorder. Okay, Um, so what about, I'm thinking of of a um, specific case of a young woman who came from a good family, well-educated family, who was going along looking like her life was really on track. She had two other sisters, and then all of a sudden she developed schizophrenia. She was diagnosed with schizophrenia. She was hearing voices. She was having thought disorder where uh, her thinking was, you know, literally disordered thinking. What happens in a case like that? We all know there's a genetic component, but latest research shows genes can be turned on or turned off based on the level of trauma. Does it take a trauma in someone's life to turn on a mental illness like that? I don't think it always does. It's not been my experience that it always does. And I I must say that over my years of practice, I differentiate between emotional illnesses and mental illnesses. And what's the deciding factor? Well, what's the difference? Mental illnesses have been very constant in the prevalence around the world for many, many hundreds if not thousands of years that we've been keeping records. And they're primarily bipolar disorders and schizophrenia. But emotional illnesses, depressions and anxieties, by and large, panic disorders, are seem to me to come about much more based on our relationships with people. Now, you can have both schizophrenia and depression or bipolar and anxiety, so right. these things overlap, but yes. the mental illnesses are thought to be much more dysfunctions of actual functioning in the brain, whereas emotional illnesses have to do with the ways that we relate to people. At least that's yeah. how I see it. And the World the Health Organization right now 
and I, I want to follow this track with you, the World Health Organization right now says that the number one disease burden in the world is depression. Yes, more people miss work, days of work around the world due to depression than any other diagnosis. Wow. So what is it that's creating depression all around the world? And for certain in the United States, the most uh, prescribed medications are for anxiety and depression. Well, depression, in my experience, comes about when you feel uh, I can't um, get things right in the world I can't make things in order, control them the way I want to. This means there must be something wrong with me. So when things go wrong, say, you know, I know you've been following the case of the person who did the shooting in Las Vegas. I've done a lot of media, answered a lot of questions about it. And the first question is, why didn't somebody notice he was mentally ill? And I have to say, and I want to hear your answer to this, I have to say, on camera, G, I don't know that he was mentally ill, although what he did was crazy. I don't know if he was mentally ill. You know, I never got to examine him or talk to him, but we know the behavior's crazy. So what would you say about someone who just goes off like that and does something so horrible? Well, I I can't really say anything unless I personally have examined them. But I think there's there's lots of possibilities, okay? One is they have a true mental illness. They were Mm -hmm. psychotic and hearing voices, and the voices were commanding them to shoot people. That's one Mm -hmm. possibility. Mm -hmm. Another possibility is they were extremely uh, depressed, and had an emotional illness of depression and were upset about, you know, conflict in a relationship. And then a third possibility is that this is sort of become the thing to do when you are angry and distressed about something going on in your life, which is not an emotional illness and it's not a mental illness, but it is crazy behavior. Yeah, exactly. So now, let's go down that path for for just a minute. There was a lot of evidence that there was some sort of intergenerational pattern here. So how much of a part does it play in mental illness? This person's father apparently was on the most wanted list as a criminal. He was uh, a violent criminal. He had been missing from this man's life for a number of years for a variety of reasons, including being incarcerated. How much would that play into a child then growing up and being able to commit this kind of act? Well, I think that would only play a role if there's true mental illness going on. Now, more than likely, and what I have investigated in doing work with patients Uh, children and adults over 40 years, is that what did this person or any person learn about how to see themselves and how to conduct their relationships by the time they were five or six? Hmm. That is a more telling piece of information 
usually about how they're going to function in their adult life. Right. So if there's a father who's violent or who's missing, this child is going to learn about alienation from other people, is going to learn about hurting other people. Because prior to the age of eight, everybody, if you can see it, hear it, touch it, taste it, or smell it, your brain records it like a miniature recording device. And it does come out later, is what you're saying, Dr. Adams, that, uh, you know, there's an imprinting and a modeling effect that yeah, takes I place. Yeah, I call it emotional children. conditioning. Yes. Yes, it's yeah. tr- absolutely true. And um, this is this is often, you know, thought to be a genetic thing that's passed on, but really it's conditioned, learned behavior in the first few years of life and it goes from generation to generation. The grandparents shaped the the parents without knowing what they were doing. It was all unconscious. And then the parents shaped their children, and it was all right. Unconscious. Now, the recent research on this does show that there are genetic changes, that, in fact, uh, there was a big study done at Tel Aviv University. You guys all know I'm a geek, so brace yourselves. Here comes just your one, you know, soundbite of research for tonight, so bear with me. Uh, This research was done on Holocaust survivors, showing that the first generation who escaped the camps had identifiable changes in the DNA and in their brains. The second generation had identical changes. The third, the fourth, to the fifth generation, these identical changes were there. And, of course, the big question is, is it because of what you are saying right now, which is, the parent's behavior, if they're traumatized, is different. And so they traumatize their children. Or is it once the DNA is changed, then we see the behavior. There's a little bit of a chicken and an egg discussion here. But there's also a field called epigenetics. That's right. Which has, Very, which has love to it. do with Lipton. Yeah. Yeah, which has to do with how the environment shapes the parts of the DNA. Right, and those who aren't familiar with epigenetics, one of the really important things is uh, in a lab, I think it was University of Virginia, uh, Bruce Lipton, who's one of the seminal researchers in this area, had little Petri dishes of bioidentical cells, and he found that instead of them all growing the same tissue, there's different tissue. He said, how could that be? These are bioidentical, so they set up a camera, and discovered the sun hit some of those little dishes at one time during the day, or a lab tech came in and jostled the tray, and all of a sudden what was growing, the tissue that was growing changed. So the idea that the environment can change us biologically has in fact become a truth. And epigenetics also shows that just like we can turn a gene on, we can turn it off. So let's talk about mental health. Because one of the things that's important on World Mental Health Day is we're talking about how it can develop, what some of the causes are. We've talked about family stressors, modeling, uh, emotional conditioning, trauma. And once a person has an illness, what are the things we really need to do as a society because we talked about shame and stigma. Shame is, I think I'm wrong. Stigma is, we think you're wrong, too. How do we deal with that as a society? What kinds of changes should we be making, Dr. Adams? 
Well, you know, stigma is is a sign of being feeling and being disgraced or discredited. You set a person apart from other people. And I think that's what's so important that I've learned is that we're all really in the same boat. It's just a matter of degrees of what we're suffering at any one point in time. You're saying we're all a little bit crazy, Dr. Adams? <laughs> no, not crazy. We're I'm joking. All, I'm sorry. We all have, uh, we all have Sometimes issues. Sometimes we have to lighten up a little bit. It's a serious topic. Absolutely. We all have uh, issues and problems. I mean, is there any of you that have never had a conflict or problem in a relationship? My I don't God, think anybody could ever say that. Adams? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Everybody has these issues. Right. And I think for us to say, well, I'm normal and I don't have any issues and that person over there does, so I'm going to ostracize them. Right. And and that's more likely to happen if we don't feel we can face our own issues. It's easy to put the attention on someone else and go, they're the bad one and I'm the good one. Which right. Just so I think true. we so need to realize we're all in the same pool together. Exactly. It's just how far above water our heads are. <laughs> That's lovely, how far above water our heads are. So when we yeah. talk about mental health, I know the World Health Organization recommends that we talk openly about mental health. You know, how far above water my head is versus yours is a good starting point, but also to be conscious of the language that we use that we don't use disparaging words like, oh, that person's just crazy, which just blurs the fact that this is an illness, just like, you know, we can see a broken leg. This person has something inside that's not working properly. Yeah, I think the greatest fear that we have as people is that there's something wrong with our brain and the way our mind works. And if we remind ourselves, chances are, unless we have a severe mental illness like schizophrenia or bipolar, that we do not have something wrong with our brain. We have right. The other side wrong. of it is to see the mental illness and the physical illness as equal. That it's right. the same thing if you have a physical that if illness. If your friend breaks their arm, you say, can I take you to the emergency room? If your friend is talking about suicide, that you say, let's get in the car. I want to drive you over to the emergency room. That exactly. You, that you treat both situations as uh, safety issues, very important and very crucial to assist somebody and not just say to them, well, your arm's broken. Why don't you drive yourself over to the ER? Right, exactly. And this is something people have a tendency to do. If someone has an emotional or mental illness, there is a tendency to look away from it and make the person bad when we don't do that with physical. One other big issue that we have to talk about, we're running out of time, there's so much to talk about here, is the fact that people with mental illness are criminalized. They are tried in courts, locked up, and turned into criminals. I used to run a day treatment program where a number of the people I took care of in my program had very severe diagnoses, schizophrenia, bipolar, were in fact people who had been incarcerated because they weren't getting proper treatment. How do we stop that? 
Well, we might entertain a return to having some more state hospitals where severely mentally ill people can go and be safe and not be at risk and live on the streets. Gee, I I don't know. That's a crazy idea, Dr. Adams, putting people in a safe place where they can get help when they're sick. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a novel idea, but I think we should try it. And it was actually tried before. You know, we used to have lots of state hospitals. It worked. And it helped. And people had what were called sheltered workshops, and they worked in them. And they felt their self-esteem was good, and they felt better about themselves because they had something to do during the day. Now, that something might be sweeping the floor, uh, you know, right, exactly. Things. But it's better than Something. being on the street and left right. to right. get sicker and sicker and not get care and not get safety. Now, one other thing, there are two other things in mental health. Uh, the World Health Organization recommends one is to make sure that we push back against the way people who live with mental illness are portrayed in the media because there is a tendency to demonize. The last thing is to see the person, not the illness. We have one minute left, Dr. Adams. I can't believe the time flew by. What do you want to leave us with very quickly? Well, this has been wonderful. It's a discussion we all need to have, and I thank you so much for having me on. Um, Yeah, I think we need to realize that we're really all in the same boat. It's just a matter of degrees and that... uh, we need to have a little more empathy when we see somebody going through stress, even if I couldn't agree anxious. with you more. And I want to give everyone Dr. Adams' website again. It's www.drchristineadams.com. Her book is Living on Automatic, How Emotional Conditioning Shapes Our Lives and Relationships. And if someone you love is suffering from an emotional or mental disturbance, be kind, be compassionate, talk about it and get appropriate help and treat it just the way you treat a physical illness. So thank you again, Dr. Adams. And coming up next, next week, we have Mara Sweeney, who will be talking with us about radical happiness. Until then, everyone, blessings.